Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Resky. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, welcome back to the Gospel Attic Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan, joined with my co-host Jim Resky. Tonight we are going to be discussing the book of Jeremiah. I'm going to be teaching it at a men's Bible study um, in a few days from now. And so we like to get together, Jim and I, and, and just kind of talk about some of the big themes that we see in our preparation for the study. And then we broadcast the actual uh, lesson that we give. And then sometimes we started a trend of... Um, broadcasting the lesson we wish we would have given That's so right. um jim before we get started um how are you doing tonight well i'm doing great greg it's so uh so great to talk to you about this and kind of want to hear how your prep is going and where you are the things you're learning things you're uh as, as you start you know reading in commentaries and rereading jeremiah just to get ready to speak on it next week and so it uh kind of love to hear uh, where things stand yeah, well, it's it's interesting because we were just talking beforehand that two years ago you taught on this book. You were you were given the assignment to teach on Jeremiah and Lamentations in right. one in in a one hour Bible study. Um, this this um, coming Saturday, I've just been given that. I think we wisely cut the book of Jeremiah into two parts. So I'm doing chapters one through 33. Um, and then someone else is teaching on the, the end of the book of Jeremiah, because the book of Jeremiah is like the longest book of the Bible. Did you yeah. know that? No. Yeah. It's got the most words. And so um, I'm a bit overwhelmed. I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed because there's so much, uh, material to cover and it's not written in chronological order so it can be confusing it's not my favorite type of literature to read or maybe um just because it's so so wordy and so um it's hard to know who he, you know um, because it's not put in you know a order it's it can be challenging to be like, okay, who's this message to? Who's he delivering this to? What's the, per you know, but at the same time, he's, I would, I would, I want to start out by just saying Jeremiah is underrated. Underrated. He's underrated. It's, it's one of the most underrated books of the Bible. He's one of the most underrated prophets of the Bible. Um, And I get this in, in some of my research. I read that there are so few um, commentaries written on the book of Jeremiah, like, you really? know, compared to like Daniel or Isaiah, um, Isaiah. Yeah. I mean, it just, there's not, you know, in comparison to other books of the Bible, there's, there's not much, um, not many people have taken deep dives into the book of Jeremiah. 
No kidding. Well, is that and because I think as a, and I think as a person, he's he's underrated because you know he's known as the weeping prophet. Right. That's what I was going to ask. It's a, you think that's why because it's kind of look in some ways. Do you remember when you taught on Joshua and the next week I had to teach after you on Judges? Yeah. So Greg got the upside story and I got the downside. Well, you got the upper. You got the feel right. from Joshua. It's all about victory and manna for you know God's. It wasn't man for God's own heart. That's obviously David. But I mean, Joshua is just such a great character that I'm like how it all falls apart in Judges. It's like it's a downer. So maybe that's. Yeah. Jeremiah. So last yeah. week, we last week, the, the Bible study was on Isaiah. Yeah. And then going from Isaiah to Jeremiah is sort of a similar type of thing. Yeah, it is. Right. The contrast. But maybe that's why commentators say, you know, let someone else write a book about that. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. you know, it is. Um, it's not the most encouraging message, is it? Well, but it's 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 so critical. So, yeah, you, like you said, two years ago I taught on this. And by the way, for the listeners who may not be familiar, so Greg and I are in this Bible, the Bible study. The whole approach is we read through the Bible not in one year, which is pretty common. You find books walk through the Bible and things. We take two years, but but the Bible study has been doing this for twenty years, going through it again and again and again, and the patterns have varied a little bit. But now it's on a regular rhythm of every two years. So. Two years ago was my first time teaching at the Bible study. This is the two-year mark, and I taught on this book, and um, and I yeah, learned a lot since. I think I lost complete track of time because I was supposed to do Jeremiah and Lamentations, as you said, but I never did get to Lamentations because I just lost track of time. It's poor time management on my part, but I um, but but I I, I remember that that the um, it's uh, it's kind of a down message, but it feels like it's so necessary because it deals all with our sin and our sin problem and our lack of awareness of our sin problem. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, so, you know, Jeremiah is one of these guys in the Bible that you really don't want to, you don't feel bad that, that you didn't have the same calling as him, right? <laughs> um, Job is probably another one. Um I mean, right. there's, there's guys that you kind of like envy their lives yeah, and there's Hosea. guys that you're like, whew, man, I'm glad I didn't have his experience. That's and exactly. Jeremiah had a tough, tough ministry, but you know, the, the book starts out in chapter, all of chapter one is about his call to the ministry, which is pretty significant that a whole chapter is devoted to it. And it's very clear. God makes it very clear to us that he was called to be a prophet before he was even born. Yeah. Now he was born into a priestly family. Oh, really? Yeah. His, uh, um, he came from a priestly line, so he could have been a priest and, and probably should have been a priest, but then God calls him to be a prophet. In fact, as a young man, um, well, God tells him before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you a prophet to the nations. Um, what is that? Verse five, chapter one, verse five. So, um, but then Jeremiah, you know, gets his calling as a young man. He's he's probably like a teenager or something. And he says, oh, but I don't even know how to speak because I'm just a young, I'm, a, I'm just a youth. And then... Um, God says, you know, don't worry about it because I'm going to be with you and I'm going to give you the words to say. And then there's this interesting uh, verse in verse nine, 
It says, then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I've set before you this day over the nations and over kingdoms. That all sounds great. I mean, what an amazing experience. Basically, God touched his mouth and, um, you know, which, which, uh, it reminds me, you know, if God's called you to do something, he will provide for you. He will take care of you. He will give you all the tools necessary to fulfill that calling. And so here he's telling Jeremiah, you know, you maybe you thought you were going to be a priest, but I've called you to be a prophet. And so, uh, and just to show you, I'm going to touch your mouth and every word that comes out of your mouth is going to be for me. But then what's interesting, Jim, is the rest of that verse, verse 10 this is, the, this is his calling. This is what his ministry is going to look like. To pluck up and to break down. To destroy and to overthrow. To build and to plant. Okay, so there's six things mentioned there. Four out of the six are negative. Basically, um, you know, I mean, he's saying, okay, this is what I've called you to do. To pluck up and to break down. To destroy and to overthrow. It's like, man, what a tough ministry. And sure enough, the rest of the book, he it's, it covers a span of 40 years, shows just how tough a ministry it was for him. So, Greg, you're in full-time ministry. Can you imagine what it would be like? People always talk about feeling the call of ministry. And I know you, there's probably a moment in your own life you look back and say, I felt the call of ministry to do what I do full-time and devote my life to it. Um, and you can... Anyone in your role can reflect back on that moment, but can you compare that to like if God Himself? I mean, what a what an unbelievably unique moment. So when uh, just as you read those verses out loud, I was thinking at that moment there must have been an unbelievable sense of elation, right? Like not just I mean, many many people have felt the call to ministry, but how many have been like where God personally says, "I'm going to touch your lips and I'm going to." personally call you right so it's amazing so the thing of elation joy exuberance and then like you said but some sense of foreboding with those four out of the six words having that tone thinking oh wow okay what uh what am i getting myself into here what is god getting me into here yeah i mean um i couldn't imagine getting a <laughs> i couldn't imagine having a call to ministry uh, a ministry assignment as difficult as Jeremiah had. And I don't know how you would keep yourself from being discouraged. Maybe the only way you could is knowing that, that the Lord himself, you know, put this in your life. And yeah. Um, well, and even today we know people with really tough mission assignments are people that I, we've known that have ministered like in Muslim countries where there's very little fruit, it's very difficult, uh, but even in European countries where um, there's, it feels like the, the church has long been dead and there's not much spiritual life. And um, I just know people have ministered in some Western developed countries that feel like they've been banging their heads against a wall trying to share the gospel for years. And it's like, oh, this is what God's called me to. And Maybe the fruit, if I can lead one person to the Lord, and then they lead someone, maybe generations from now, they'll say it was because of they did that hard work in ministry, but it's it can still feel like you're banging your head against a wall, even, even today in those situations. 
That's true. And then not only did he give him this difficult, difficult call where saying two thirds of your ministry is going to be um, negative. <laughs> um, in, in chapter 16, verse two, he tells him, uh, God says to him, I don't want you to marry anybody. Right. Um, because I don't want you to marry. I don't want you to have children. Um, and somehow that's like a living illustration of how um uh how how upset god is at the at judah oh really um well yeah because uh you know it's like jeremiah i don't want you to bear any fruit the fruit of children oh i don't want you to i don't want you to be fruitful um with with children because i'm trying to keep uh, part of your ministry is to communicate how because of the depth of your sin, you've been cut off. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, I can't imagine that. That's that's incredibly. Oh, tough. then again. So, the, so that brings up the point that the book of Jeremiah is not about his message, or it's just as much about him, right. the messenger, as it is the message. That's right. The, I is, when I was to the commentary, he was talking about that. Like, there's so much about him personally in this book about him more than like, like a biographical kind of uh, book more than the other prophet uh, yeah. prophetic writings. And one of the commentaries I was looking at talked about how he might've only had like two friends. Like and oh, yeah. his, his one friend was Baruch, the guy who wrote down, <laughs> wrote scribe. down the, the, the scribe. And right. I don't even know who the other friend would be, but like he didn't have any friends. Maybe God was keeping him from being married to spare some poor woman the lifetime of being married to someone with such a miserable ministry because of the you know, a lifetime misery that uh, he was trying to spare some poor woman from being married to that. Yeah, I mean, it is it is really. Oh, hey, Greg, rewind yeah. a second. Go back and think. You mentioned before that he could have been a priest. He was in a priestly family, but instead was called to be a prophet. So that obviously raises the question, since you mentioned the distinction, what is the difference between a priest and a prophet? What's a priestly ministry versus a prophetic ministry? What's the difference? Well, in my mind, a priestly ministry would be like working in the temple, um, handling the sacrifices, stuff like that. Like, um, just like um, a temple work, you know, where a prophet was somebody who's out there proclaiming has a message for all the people. Yeah. And, um, and so in some ways a, a priestly job would be much easier and very, um, very much, uh, like you would think of, um, <laughs> well, the th what popped in my mind is being like a, a mailman or something. Where you're just doing very ritualistic. Like, oh, you're yeah. Doing the same thing every day. Yeah. You know, if right. you're a priest, you know, you're just going through where a prophet, you know, they don't know exactly. They could be told to do all kinds of crazy stuff, which, so, which, which happens to Jeremiah. In all deference to our mailman listeners out there who I'm sure would tell you the job is challenging and different, unique every day. Right. So it challenges all its own. But I get the point you're making. But I've heard. But I think that there's like the biblical concept of the priestly role. 
I've heard described as more inter intercessory. I'm not saying that right. Like a, a ministry of intercession, where the priest stands between the people and God, like as a and has like compassion on the people and comforts them and and turns to God. Like the priestly ministry is to say, God, please forgive these people. They're really trying, and they're you know they have mercy on them. And the prophetic ministry is like, hey, you are dead wrong in your sins. You're dying in your sins. Calling it, people out. Calling people out. I'm gonna I'm gonna speak speak the truth to people who don't want to hear it. And because Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king, right? So there's yeah. the idea of Jesus is our priest, you know, being, inter being the intercessory. I can't say that word right. The uh, interceding for us. Um but also has a prophetic ministry of like, you know, judgment, right? He's going to sit in the judgment throne. So um, that's good. That's good. But you do yeah, see I'm not sure I fully understand that. I just think that if there's, I've heard things about the distinction between that and the, the idea of like, and, and maybe just to your point, uh, Jeremiah's thinking, hey, I've got a wonderful role. People like their priests, right? People like, oh, they're you know, ministry of comfort. And, you know, it's, it's probably much more popular to be a priest than, a prophet right that's that's a good point that's a really good point well you um two years ago you mentioned there's two big themes in jeremiah i will punish and i will restore that's right um you no know, um those themes come out i will punish you know nine chapter nine verse 25 behold the days are coming declares the lord when i will punish all who are circumcised merely in the flesh and then the I will restore theme comes out in chapter 30, verse 17, for I will restore you to health and I will heal you of your wounds, declares the Lord. Um, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Um, um, but it seems like the I will punish theme is the two thirds. Uh, it's, yeah. a much, it's a much stronger theme in the book, don't you think? Yeah, it's almost like God is saying, uh, like, I, look, I'm really, really, really mad at your sin. You're not taking it seriously. I am taking it seriously. You are really so far wrong and so far gone in your sin, but I still love you and I will restore you, you know. Um, think about like when Jonah walked to Nineveh, contrast that with that prophetic message. His whole message was like one short sentence, right? 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown, right? That's just the I will punish side of it. No nuance, nothing like you're all going to die. And they repented, actually came back. So the God's message to Israel is like, I, I will punish sin. It will not go unpunished. You guys are, so, you have no awareness of your sin. You don't take it seriously. Um, and it's, it's such a theme of the Bible, such a theme of, of, of the character of God saying, it is my universe. It is a moral universe. I wrote this law I care about it. You are breaking my law. It is really, really serious. But then, but I still love you. I will restore. I'll bring you back. And I will find a way, right? Even though your sin creates a separation between us, I will, I will restore. I will bridge that gap and find a way. You know, that reminds me, there's a, a gospel illustration that comes out from a verse in Jeremiah that I've often shared with um, university students through the years. Really? Um, and we call it the, we call it the well illustration. Really? You may have heard of the bridge to life, right? Yes. yes. The bridge to life. This is called the well illustration and it's based on Jeremiah chapter two, verse 13. And um, 
the way this uh, goes is when you, you 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 have a conversation you you and you, you're you're trying to get at um well the way I would start it with somebody is I would say let me ask you a question do you agree with this statement that people follow give themselves to put their trust in whatever they believe will satisfy them and give them life. What do you think about that statement, Jim? That sounds, yeah, that sounds about right. The people follow, they will give themselves to, they will put their trust in whatever they believe will satisfy them and give them life. Yeah, it'd be hard to argue with that. Right, right. So so then um, you, what I do is I take a sheet of paper and then I start drawing all these different boxes on the paper, different, like, you know, a box, a, 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 all different shapes, like, a circle, an oval, a triangle. Um, and then I'll, I'll say brainstorm with them. What are some of those things that people are looking for to give them life? And so we talk about relationships, money, partying, career, sex, family, religion, politics, and um, all those different, all those different boxes. And then I'll say, you know what, this is interesting because there's a, a fascinating verse in the Bible and it's in Jeremiah chapter two, verse 13. And here's what it says. It says, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Explain what a cistern is for the audience. Well, a cistern is like a holding tank, uh, like, a, you know, it's it's typically in the ground. It's built into the ground. But, um, you know, something, a, a, a place where you would hold water, right. um, like, a, like, like a pool or something. But um, so. Um, so then what I do is I I go back to those, you know, and oh what I failed to mention is like, so I'll draw a triangle and then I'll put the word relationships in there and then I'll draw an oval and I'll put the word, you know, um, career. And then I'll draw another thing and put, you know, um, all these different things that, that people are giving themselves to. And we look at them and we brainstorm together what those things are. Like, what do you see your friends giving their lives to, you know, good grades, whatever. And then, after I, I show them this verse, I say, um, you know, well, first I have to explain, I have to explain, uh, we, we kind of talk through the verse, you know, it says that there's two sins. Uh, what are those two sins uh, according to this verse? And it says that the first one is that they've forsaken God. The second one is they've dug their own cisterns. And, um, and that's kind of interesting because it shows that the complexity of sin that it's not um it's not just turning your back on god but they're actually digging your own cistern shows how much they're working to try to uh, fill that void on their own yes. apart from god right i never thought of they focus on the word digging yeah so then i'll say well what does forsaking mean and you know they'll say well to abandon or to leave and then, um, and then I'll ask them about cisterns. You know, have you ever heard of a cistern? Do you know what it is? It's a huge container that holds water, like a big pot. 
And it says, and I'll say, how are the cisterns described in this verse? And it says, well, they're broken. Well, what happens when, you know, if a, a pot is full of water and it's broken, it leaks, right? It becomes useless. Right. And so what the, at that point, I'll draw cracks in all those little um, things that, you know, the triangle, you know, that ha has the word relationships. I'll draw cracks in it. Like, look, they're all broken. These are things that people are giving themselves to, but they're broken. They're empty. They will never fully satisfy. Um, so, um, yeah. Are you, are you of, tracking of, with, are you tracking? I am, with yeah, me? I totally. What kind of reaction did you get from people when they saw that? Did that light bulbs go off? Do they kind of see like, or. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's one of these, it's almost like a pre evangelism illustration because it gets people to think on a deeper level. Like, what am I giving my life to? Right. And then, then what you do is you draw another, like, let's say a circle, and then you put the cross in there. And that's the one, that's the one thing that doesn't have cracks in it. Yeah. It's the one thing. And it's like a relationship with God. Now there might be another box called religion. And then we could talk about the difference between religion and a relationship with God. Right. Which can leak if you're based on your moral performance, it'll always end up being leaky. Yeah. So then I'll say, well, how is God described in this verse? And it says that he's a spring of living water. And then I'll explain, I'll go to that circle with the cross in it and I'll, I'll, I'll make it look like a spring, like it's, it's spurting out water. Like yeah. it's a source. It's a water source. Right. Source of life. Right. And so we'll talk about what's the difference between a spring and a cistern. Well, a, a spring produces, produces fresh, clean, healthy water. A cistern can only hold water. And then if, and eventually it'll get stagnant and um speaks then it's not even doing that right right so um so then you know then i'll turn to some new testament passages where um like in john chapter world. four yeah set the where, woman at the well yeah the woman at the well john chapter four verses 13 and 14 where um jesus answers and says to this woman at the well everyone who drinks this water will thirst again but whoever drinks the water I will give him will never thirst, but the water I will give him will become in him a, a well of water springing up to eternal life. And so anyway, you can kind of see where this is going, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it becomes like a dialogue tool to just get them to think about where, what are they giving their lives to? Right. Right. You know? And uh, so, you know, um, yeah. So anyway, um, had you, you never heard of that before? No, that's really, I know. I didn't see that as an illustration. Obviously the verse is famous. I think the verse is good. And I, th I, and I think it's like you described it as like a pre, almost pre evangelism, setting the stage for it because people feel like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get your religion. You just want me to, you know, be a better person, and I don't really want to hear it. But you're starting with them saying, "What do you? What do you? Like your premise that you started with is inarguable, right? You're going to give yourself to these things that you think are going to do it for you. Yeah, and it could be different for other for different for other people. Somebody say that person's way too wrapped up in their career. I care about family, so you're okay. Family, you put that in an oval, right? Yeah, um, they're too caught up in family. I just care about the giving to the poor. Okay, so you can, you know, causes yeah. and. Accomplishing great, but you have something that you're looking to 
everybody's given their lives to something everybody lives for something everybody lives for something and so yeah yeah i i think this that verse is so key because in it in your illustration your practice you're setting up like the key human problem is idolatry and Mm -hmm. i think and this would be a good to research before you do the talk next week but it feels like I just remember when I was studying it a couple of years ago, Jeremiah feels like he does this really expansive view of sin. In other words, you could say they at that time, those people could have said, look, there's the Ten Commandments. Sin is, and people do this today. Breaking God's law. Breaking God's law, telling a lie, hurting someone's feelings. I haven't killed yourself, anybody. Haven't killed anybody. Cheating on your taxes. Like stealing money, yeah, 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 yeah. In other words, sin is discrete bad acts. Yeah. And I haven't done those, right? I pay my taxes and I haven't killed anybody, and I'm a pretty honest person. And so I and, and they define sin so narrowly. And his when he comes along and like this, you know, you created these, you've given your life to the wrong things. You love the wrong things. Not that you do the wrong things, you love the wrong things. It's such an expansive definition of sin, right? And I think it's there in the Ten Commandments too. Like you should have no other gods before me. It's it's not like he's making it up. It's not like he's creating something new. But like he's telling people, like, look, you, you sin is way, way your sin problem is way, way, way worse than you think it is. It's way worse than you want to admit to yourself. And you can tell yourself, well, I don't do these little things. So I'm fine. And, and that's kind of what happened in his ministry. He would point out these things they're doing and they would come back and say, what are, you, what are you talking about? What have we done? What have we done that's so bad? And they just were totally unaware of their own sin and the, and the depth of their sin problem. When you taught this, you you brought that up, the lack of awareness of their sin. And there's some verses. Do you remember what those verses were? Yeah, there's this great passage. Um, look, I mean, so like there's, there's a bunch of passages where he's like saying, look, this is what you're doing wrong. <laughs> And he doesn't pull punches, right? That's why they hated him so much. That's why he was a weeping prophet, you know? Yeah, so uh, that's, uh, there's one, Jeremiah 7, 31. Yeah. For right. from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. Yeah, that's chapter 6, verse 13, actually. But keep, yeah, keep going, I'm sorry. Oh, it, oh, that is, that is chapter 6, verse 13. Um, and from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. Yeah, so they're cheating each other in business, right? So that's like... You know, greed and that kind of stuff. And but then it gets worse. Right. Seven verse 31. Right. It says what? And they have built the high places to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. They were they were doing child sacrifice, just like all the cultures around them were. You know, my crops will grow better if I give up one of my children and throw them in the fire. I mean, they're it's horrific. It's horrific. This is all happening in Jerusalem, right? This is right yeah. before the fall of Jerusalem. Yeah. Basically, Jeremiah is living during the fall of Jerusalem, right? He's yeah. he's so, he's predicting it. And right. He's, and right. He, and, he actually witnesses it happening. Yeah, there's a great verse from we will get to it in a minute here by one of the guards that sees it so more clearly than they do. But just to continue on this theme, like in Jeremiah 2, he talks about on your skirts is found the lifeblood of the guiltless poor. So they were like taking advantage of the poor. So the, the whole spectrum of sin, of sin, right? Just awful. And then my my favorite is in chapter 16. Um, wait, is that the one? Uh, chapter 16, yes. 10 to 12. 
Yeah, that's it. That's it. And he says, and when you tell this people all these words, and they, this is God talking to Jeremiah, and they say to you, why has the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? What is our iniquity? What is the sin that we have committed against what have the Lord? Done wrong? What have we done? What have Meanwhile, we, they're sacrificing their children. That's right. That's right. But they have absolutely zero awareness of their sin. They're like, what? What? What are you, what are you talking about? What have we done? And you can absolutely hear people today say exactly the same thing. What? Come on. What, what, if it's, what have I done that's so bad? And, and then, actually, the next verse that follows, God says to Jeremiah, then you shall say to them, let me tell you everything you've done. I'll list it for you. Your fathers have forsaken me. They've gone after other gods. They've served and worshipped them. You've forsaken me, and I kept my law. You've done worse than your fathers. And he says, for behold, every one of you follows his stubborn, evil will, refusing to listen to me. And like, let me painfully make it clear to you what your sin is. But they were they were engaged in such blatant, obvious sin, from child sacrifice to cheating each other, robbing the poor, all kinds of, and they just, and when he pointed it out, they're like, what, what? They got angry at him, right? They right. shot the message. They're like, we don't want to hear that. And I, and I don't, and, and, but they, the, the complete utter disbelief, like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Mm. So our ability to fool ourselves and, and not see the sin that we're in is, I always say this phrase, Greg. You heard me say, I know you, you heard me say it. Self justification is bottomless. Yes. Evil dictators think they're doing the world a favor. I mean, people that are do all, all unspeakable evil say, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. And that's kind of what he's, what he's doing here. So that's why I love that cistern when you're talking about, because then it's like, it kind of starts there. Like your sin is, your chief sin is idolatry. It's not just that you do the wrong things. You you love the wrong things, right? Yeah. You build your life on the wrong things. That's a, And I've never seen that well, the well illustration. I think that's like, that's a good visual way to show people like, look, you're building your life on things that will fail you. Yeah. And it says that, it says that they dug their own cisterns. Now think about if you were to, if you and I were to go out in our yard and dig a cistern, we're not going to, uh, that's not an easy job. I think you could find pictures for your talk like of real cisterns in the middle, because it's an arid climate. So when it rained, they wanted to capture all the water. And I'm a, in my memory, I've seen like they're, they're huge because you yeah. want to like get the rain because you might have like a month without any rain. So the thing that strikes me though, is how much blood, sweat, and tears people put into giving their lives to the wrong thing. Yes. Yes. That's it. Exactly. It's because that it's, was self-justification bottomless. Being your own savior is hor horribly hard work. The burden is so hard. That's when Jesus comes along and says, take my yoke. My burden is easy. And my yoke my yoke is easy. My burden is light because he does the work for us in the gospel, right? He's the one who pays the price. But you, you're digging your own. You're building a life for yourself. You're your own savior. And it is wearying. So wearying to be your own savior and constantly have to justify your life. So I, I think it's interesting you do that illustration with college students, because when you're young, you don't, it's so easy to say, oh, no, no, you don't understand. I'm going to have a great life. I'm building a great life. And I uh, keep digging, dig for 40 more years, dig for 30 more years, right. you know, watch people who built their life on career, watch everything fall apart around them. And, uh, well, I think know, it, I think it, it, it appealed to, it worked with college students. And this was a this was a very effective. It's effective for for a couple of reasons. One is it's a dialogue tool, so it allowed me to get to know them. Yeah, that's um, good. It's it's not like me just 
reading a booklet or something like that. Right. You're actually, good. you're actually doing this together. Like I'm drawing a box and I'm like, what are some things people you see people giving themselves to? Oh, they're academics, right? You know, um, relationships, sex, you know? So um, I think it, it appeals, it appeals, you know, it's interesting because when you're, when you're 18 to 22, your, your cisterns are, I think what you're saying is your cisterns may be smaller. And you're still digging and you still, so hopefully you're still digging. Other people failed. Yeah. They may be, you know, um, somewhat simplistic, like, you know, academics, for example, right. Where as you get older, your cisterns get bigger and maybe complex, and and actually some of them are like we give ourselves to good things but if we make those good things into an ultimate thing if we if if we make them into an idol then that's just as bad as you know giving our lives to the blatantly wrong things yeah yeah or it can be just as harmful um so you also brought out two years ago that the idea about sin is sin is more uh, complex. That sin is just not idolatry, but um, it's addiction. And how did you see that in the book of Jeremiah? Yeah, there's this great passage. And since you're doing 1 through 33, you could use this verse. It's in chapter 2. Because again, they're like the, in total denial of their sin. And um, I think it's in chapter 2, verse 22 to 25. And a part of it here, I'll read it to it says, how can you say, I am not defiled, I have not run after the Baals, which were the idols that they were worshipping? See how you behaved in the valley. Consider what you have done. You are a swift, this, and this language is really raw. It's really yeah. vivid. I think a lot of people who don't know the Bible say, I didn't even realize this kind of stuff was in the Bible. Um, it says, yeah. you are a swift she-camel running here and there, a wild donkey accustomed to the desert, sniffing the wind in her craving, in her heat, who can restrain her? Any males that pursue her need not tire themselves. At mating time, they will find her. It's like a it's sexual addiction, right? Right. It's like or any addiction. I can't stop. And the next verse is the killer. He says, But you said it's no use. I love foreign gods and I must go after them. It is it is someone who's in the depths hits rock bottom depths of addiction. It's no use. It's no use. I can't stop myself. Gotta have it. And like, and he, this is thousands of years ago, man, he nailed it. I mean, long before people got to 12 step programs and understanding what addiction does to people. Yeah. Right. This is like, he's saying the way he's, the words he uses and any, I think, I think if you were any addict or someone who struggled with alcohol, anybody, when they read these words, they say, I know exactly what he's talking about. When you, when someone said you're describing how they're craving this and they say, you know, it's no use. It's no use. It's no use resisting. Got to have it. That's the language of addiction. We should uh, camp out on this just for a minute because, you know, we call this podcast the gospel addict. Podcast. Oh, you're right. We do. So, <laughs> And so we, we use it. We use the word addiction or addict. And, yeah. Uh, we can talk about why. I mean, this is this is so. Um, it resonates with me so much that we're all addicts. We're all yeah. addicts. Right. Every human being well, is an addict. We're addicted to something. That's right. 
and we may change our addictions uh, throughout life, but we're, we're, our tendency is to give our lives to something. Yeah. And so being a gospel addict is kind of going to that spring of, of living water and saying, you know what, I've been chasing the wrong things. I've been digging, digging Digging. a cistern over here. Meanwhile, there's a spring of living water that never ends. It's free. That's free. And that's the gospel, right? That's the gospel. Someone else did the work for me. I just need to surrender to it. I need to say, yeah, I'm going to stop digging, stop building my own life on the wrong foundations, stop the things I'm addicted to. It's shifting my affections. This is like, I was putting my trust in the cisterns I was digging. I was putting, that was going to do it for me. That was going to give me a life. And I was digging those things. And I say, I'm going to stop putting my trust in those things and put my trust in the, the source of living water, Right. So Jesus says to the woman of the well, if you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. Like this is this is living water, right? Yeah. And what's crazy, what's crazy about this is that um the people reject it. The people reject the gospel. And I can only rejected Jeremiah. Yeah. I mean, they rejected Jeremiah's message. Um yeah. yeah. And all they had to do is turn, all they had to do is turn back to the Lord and repent and um they couldn't they said it's no use i love foreign gods i must go after him that is uh that is a powerful that is a powerful uh statement there yeah this is Uh, the two the two chief sins of humankind right yeah Uh, i am not a person you know one tells me what to do and you know, you think about things haven't changed over thousands of years. I mean, we're still um, just like like them. I mean, uh, we struggle with a lack of awareness of our own sin. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And and that's why we always talk on this podcast about the progress in the Christian life is marked. Uh, progress in the Christian life is not so much marked by improvement in your moral performance. It is, but that's not the point of the Christian life. That's the result of the Christian life. Progress is growing in your awareness of your own sin and awareness of his holiness and what it took for him to fill that gap. Growing yeah. in your and constantly growing in awareness. So, you know, like, so you should be saying, like I look at these notes that I did for this two years ago, I think like I should be saying, I'm more aware today, two years later, of how sinful I am than when I did this talk two years ago. That if that is progress in the Christian life, I'm I'm a, I'm a like you often said that didn't you say that like when you became a Christian you thought I'll sin less and less. Absolutely, I remember as a young Christian, um, you know, every time I opened the Bible, I felt like it was telling me what was wrong with me, right? And I really struggled just you know spending time with God and and reading the Bible. But what it was is it was the Holy Spirit just kept showing me my sin, like you know. Um, and my need that my need for a savior. And so I did kind of just have this idea that, you know, now that I'm a Christian, I'm going to sin less and less. Um, I'm just going to become a better person. But in reality, it's, it's the opposite. It's like, I, I like the illustration of like a dimmer switch. Like if, when you walk into a room, you know, the room is completely dark and, and, in order to fully understand the gospel, you need to see how dark the room is. You need to see how how dark your 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 soul is. That's right, God. Right, 
So it's like, imagine, have you ever been in a cave that's like completely, completely yes. dark? You can't even yep. see your hand in front of your face. You can't even, yeah. I mean, essentially that is, that is like us apart from God. Um, but then it's like, imagine, you know, lighting a match and, um, and then all of a sudden you can, you have this awareness and you see the light. That's kind of like when you first come to Christ, but then imagine that light gets brighter and brighter. It's like a, imagine a dimmer switch on the wall where you can just turn up that flame and it just brightens. Pretty soon though, what you don't realize is just, you know, um, how much darkness there still is in your life, you know? And, um, you know, so, and it just drives you to your knees and it drives you to Jesus. Amen. Right. Cause you realize because, now that's what he saved me from that, right. his, my salvation was always a great salvation. I just thought it was an okay salvation. It was a good salvation. <laughs> it was a good salvation. I didn't realize it was how great a salvation. This is, um, What's the verse in Hebrews? How should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Great salvation, a great, yeah, right. And and really, if you understand, and it's not just his, it's not just our sinfulness that we need to understand. You mentioned our whole God's holiness, that's exactly. because that's the other thing. Those are the two key factors in really grasping um, what it means to follow Christ. Is like um, we need. To, God is so much more holy than we think he is. Yeah. He is so much more pure than, than we think he is because we can only think in terms of human, human purity and human right. standards. And, you know, but he is, uh, it's kind of, you know, you get the feeling and, and this happens in the Bible when people come in contact with the living God, they fall on their face. Well, so you mentioned earlier how Jeremiah, God touches his lips. And I was thinking yeah. of Isaiah. Yeah. You know, where he sees God face to face and he's right. He says, you know, depart from me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from people of unclean lips. It's like, he just feels like he's falling apart. And the same imagery where God takes, a, I think a cherubim, takes the tongs and takes a coal from the altar and touches Isaiah's lips. Real or kind of similar parallel. But it's it's anytime people come close to close to the, the personal holy, right? Yep. The, uh, yep. the living God, right? Even That's Jesus, true. right? Remember they, they, the first time he... Uh, they realize a supernatural thing is here. They pull the fish out of the water. They say, depart from me. I think it's Peter. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Right? True. True. So why don't we end our uh, discussion tonight just talking about how G Jesus is the true and better Jeremiah. Because we began, the, we began the podcast talking about Jeremiah, some of the things about his life. Um, I think we mentioned that he was born in a small town outside of Jerusalem. Yep. So so was Jesus. He was born in a small time out. Um, we, we mentioned that Jeremiah's never married. So was Jesus. Jesus never married. Right. Um, uh, we didn't mention this, but according to um, church history, he was carried off to Egypt, right? Yeah, it was the end of his life. He was carried off to Egypt. He was actually Probably died in Egypt. Right, that's right. But he was carried off to Egypt. Well, we know that Jesus was carried off to Egypt as a young boy. That's right. Um, what were some of those other characteristics, Jim? Well, so Jeremiah's message was not just for the Jewish people; it was for all the nations. Because a lot of his, a lot of the message is actually very political. It talks about all the other nations. 
And of course, Jesus was here to, you know, not just, just for the Jewish people, but for the Gentiles as well. So his message was for the salvation of, of the entire world. He was a weeping prophet. And then we know in Isaiah that, G that Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. That's right. That's um, right. They're both they're, rejected in their hometown. Both they were both rejected in their hometown. Uh -huh. They were both, um, the religious leaders conspired against them. Yep. Uh, against both Jeremiah and uh, Jeremiah was beaten, mocked, and convicted in a show trial. Just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. Um, left for dead in, in a hole in the ground. He was Jeremiah was actually lowered into a cistern, left for dead. So just just like yeah. Jesus left for dead in a hole in the ground in his tomb. Um, in the same way. Yeah. So um, isn't it cool? just to think about all those parallels, but then to think about how Jesus is the true and better Jeremiah. And I think yeah. we, we see this theme throughout the whole Bible, um, especially in the Old Testament, that everything in the Bible points us to Jesus. That's right. And the so whole thing. He's the true and better Abel. He's the true and better, you know, Adam. He's the true, you know, you can better Joe, two better Jonah, two better David. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, almost in every story you can find parallels, but Jesus is the true and better because um, he's the ultimate. That's right. And all those stories are really all about Jesus. So, and the one thing, and it's the, and that, uh, what I was doing this it was the last thing I, I mentioned about this idea that Jesus is, that Jesus is the true and better Jeremiah is that thing that it echoes what you were saying earlier, Greg, that. Jeremiah is such a personal book. It's about not just his message, but the, the the person himself of Jeremiah. And in if you read Jeremiah, everyone in the book is evaluated in terms of their relationship to Jeremiah. It's from his scribe to the kings. Everybody, they're all other characters in the play, but everyone is evaluated in terms of their relationship to Jeremiah. And in the same way, we are all evaluated in terms of our relationship to Jesus. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.